We've been um, looking together at uh, some of the parables, some of the stories that Jesus told uh, when he was here. <clears throat> and this morning, uh, we come to another one of these uh, stories, um, the last one really for this summer. But um, it's called uh, The Unjust Steward or uh, The Dishonest Manager. And I um, want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16, if uh, you have your Bible with you, where we find this uh, story uh, from Jesus. And just to kind of let you know up front, um, this particular story uh, is easily misunderstood, and uh, it has a little twist to it that we don't really expect, uh, and I, I think you'll see when we come to that part of it. But Jesus told this story in the exact same context uh, to the same crowd of people that he told the story of the prodigal son to. In uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, you might remember that there were two groups of people that Jesus told, the st- well, actually he told three stories about lost things. And uh, in Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, there were two groups of people. There were tax collectors and sinners Uh, that were drawn near to hear him. And then there were also Pharisees and scribes who were grumbling and saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so there were these two groups of people, and that's the same context in which we find Jesus telling this parable. Uh, But you notice there was also a third group of people who was in that crowd. And in chapter 16 and verse 1, we read this, he also said to the disciples... So you've got this crowd of kind of uh, sinners and tax collectors, and then you've got the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious kind of uh, hierarchy, and then uh, you had the disciples, his followers, who were also there. And this particular parable, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples. The others are listening. Actually, they're not just listening. If you skip all the way on down to uh, verse 14, you'll see that the Pharisees, uh, we we read in verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him. So when we get to the end of this parable, the Pharisees have been listening. Jesus is talking to his disciples, but the Pharisees and the scribes are listening, and uh, they, uh, you know, uh, have a problem with what he's saying. And uh, we don't have to kind of guess, well, what's their problem? We're told right in that 14th verse Uh, The problem is that the Pharisees were lovers of money, lovers of money. Money's not a problem. Money's kind of neutral, but uh, loving money is an issue. And the Pharisees, we're told, uh, were lovers of money, and so they didn't like this parable. They didn't like this story that Jesus told, and they ridicule and uh, mock him for it. Now, we, uh, I'm sure, have heard about this, Um, Certainly this story, whatever it's about, must be about money somehow. Uh, this parable, this story that Jesus tells. And we've heard about, you know, from when Paul wrote to Timothy uh, in First uh, Timothy and chapter 6 and verse 10, you're familiar with these words. For the love of money, Paul told Timothy, is a root of all kinds of evil. And uh, I think you just have to turn on the news and you'll know that this is pretty relevant still today, Right? Uh, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. And um, also Jesus talked about this, right? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. 
Here's what Jesus said. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, uh, there your heart will be also. And so our story, you know, must be talking about, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, but others are listening, and it's about money, it's about possessions, it's about mammon, if you're reading the King James, it's about treasures, it's about wealth, and uh, all of that's a big reality in life. And so sometimes uh, I try to think in terms of pictures. I I know that, you know, pictures of life, and I, I bet that you have, um, a ton of pictures on your phones, right, that you've taken, little slices of life. And I sometimes think about uh, life in terms of pictures because most pictures, if you take out your phone and look, most pictures will have a foreground and a background to them. Uh, Barb and I were uh, officiated at a wedding uh, up in Rhode Island at a mansion that was right on uh, the water. And uh, this uh, young couple uh, lived in Trumbull, which is where we live, but we all had, on July 4th weekend, think traffic, we all had to go to Rhode Island to do this wedding so that the bride and groom, who were in the foreground of the pictures, okay, could have a background that was spectacular. And it was. It worked out well. Just imagine uh, the pictures that came from this uh, wedding and the foreground was the bride and groom all decked out but in the background was the water and the waves and there was kind of a stormy day and the dark clouds up in the sky and this green grass lawn that went way down all the way to the water and uh, this couple actually made a cross you know and they put some flowers on it and they wanted to get married standing at the foot of the cross so just take a, a gander in your mind here they're in the foreground but in the background is the cross and this grass that goes down to the water and the waves and there's boats going by and uh, it was just really a spectacular thing. So um, as Christians, we live in this world and this is our kind of foreground, right? But we live up against a background that's eternal, that we're well aware of and that we are informed about And we understand that our foreground, this life, is connected directly and against this background called eternal life. We're living in the foreground. We have marriage, we have family, we have jobs, we have bills, we have problems and so forth. But at the same time, our foreground is attached to a background that we're sure of, which um, we're also living in at the same time. We live in the foreground and the background at the same time, just like a picture that you might take on your phone. Now, unbelievers, people without eternal life, only live in the foreground. They only live in this life. They only live in this world and in this generation, unaware or oblivious or in denial about eternity and about eternal life. And uh, this is kind of tragic, I think, because... The foreground of life, this life, this world, this generation is about this long, maybe a hundred years at best. But eternity is for this long, forever and ever. And to only be living as if this little inch of life was all there is, 
is to miss out on so much of what God wants to give us. And so no wonder Jesus says, look, don't lay up treasures for yourself here in the foreground, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where nobody can steal, nothing gets destroyed, it doesn't rust out, and so on and so forth. And I know, you know, uh, this story that Jesus tells in this particular uh, passage uh, talks about the principle of motives in the use of money and possessions and wealth. Now, I'm sure you've heard, right? You've been to enough funerals to hear, well, you know, you can't take it with you. But you know what Jesus says? You can send it ahead. You can lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Imagine getting into heaven and being broke. I mean, for eternity. Imagine getting to heaven and say, oh, I forgot to put something in that bucket. I forgot to think that during that little bit of life was the time to invest in this eternity that I'm sure about by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Okay, so here's the story. Um, I'm in chapter 16, Luke 16, the first three verses. There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought against that manager that this man was wasting the boss's possessions. And he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, verse 3, what am I going to do? What am I going to do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. This guy's got a problem. He's been ripping off his boss. You know, uh, those of you in the business world know that this isn't unusual, that management often will find ways to rip off a company or a boss or whatever. And this guy's been ripping off the boss, but he's about to be found out, and he's about to lose his job. And if he loses his job, he loses his income, and if he loses his income, he has no place to live, right? And so he's like, what am I going to do? He's got a crisis on his hands. Um, and so um, look what he does. Verse 4 um, says, I know what I'll do. I've decided what to do. He goes from verse 3 I don't know what I'm going to do, to verse 4, I've got a plan. i got an idea. Here's what I'm going to do, verse 4. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. He's got a plan. I know what I can do. Now, I think it's important to um, just think for a minute here and pause. Um, this guy is planning ahead. This guy is like connecting the present to the future. He's like, wow, because of this crisis that's coming on me in the present, I've got to think about what does that mean for my future? And so he starts to think about what could I do to secure my future? I've got to do something now. I've got to do something right away or I'm going to be out in the cold then. And he realizes, you know what? There's no time to lose here. He realizes this is urgent. This is something I've got to do right away. And he has a sense of urgency about it. And so in verses 5 to 7, here's his plan. 
So he summons his master's debtors one by one, and he says to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And the manager said to him, listen, take your bill, sit down quickly, 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 and write 50. And then he said to another debtor, and how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, all right, take your bill and write 80. And then he says, um, he says, take your bill and write 80. And then uh, the master, and this is the twist, verse 8, uh, the master, the boss, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The master, the boss, who's being ripped off and now is being ripped off even more, commends this guy for his shrewdness because he's wise enough to connect the dots between the present and the future to understand that what he does now is going to have a profound effect on his life in the future. And I think uh, this is kind of the twist. Uh, This isn't what we would expect. You'd expect the boss to be angry, right? But the boss commended his dishonest manager. I think the boss might have been thinking something like, this guy's pretty clever. This guy, he's uh, pretty astute. He's, uh, you know, doing some quick thinking here. This guy's got some chutzpah, ripping me off even more. I think the manager is thinking, well, you know, this has worked for several years. I've been able to rip him off. Why not one more time and secure my future? But the surprising part is that the boss commends him for his shrewdness. He's commended for being clever or practical or mischievous even, uh, but smart. He's not commended for his morality, right? He's not commended because he did the right thing. But he is commended for being shrewd. And I don't think we were expecting that. But notice what's next in the second part of verse 8. Here's what the Lord says. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The unbelievers are more shrewd in dealing with life than believers, is what Jesus is saying. Now, do you accept that? Are you comfortable with that? What's the Lord trying to get across to us here? I think he's trying to tell us we need to be more shrewd as well. We need to be alert only in an eternal context. And notice what this says, the second part of verse 8. It says, for the sons of this world, the people who are only living in the foreground of their pictures, right? The people who take a selfie and crop off the background and the eternal part of life and the God who made them and the God who loves them and the God who died for them, we crop all that off. And all I can see is me in the foreground. Because I'm limited to this world. This is what Jesus is saying in the second part of verse 8. He says, you know, uh, people who are um, of this world and of this generation. All I can see is this generation. All I'm living for is the foreground, the first 80, 90, 100 years. And I'm not attached, I'm detached 
from my background. The sons of this world, Jesus says, are contrasted with the sons of light, and the people who are dealing with just their own generation are contrasted with the people of light who deal with eternal generations. So when a person's life is limited to this world and limited to their own generation, in other words, when you take a a selfie and it's limited by your own life, when your whole picture is cropped, you know, just to the foreground, um, those folks are more shrewd, Jesus says, than people who have eternity on their mind. And uh, this boss and this manager were both limited by a perspective that only included this world and this generation. Non-believers are more shrewd in this world than believers. Uh, Their whole world is literally no bigger than uh, the foreground, no bigger uh, than themselves. So sons of light or believers are... Uh, world and our generation is not limited by just this world and our own generation. We have other things on our mind besides just this world, right? Believers see way beyond the immediate, way beyond the foreground. Believers see the background that's eternal. Uh, We all see way back to creation before we were even born. And we see generations of people and we see God at work. He's the way maker and he's making a way for us to be reconciled to him uh, after the Garden of Eden and so forth. Our foreground and our lives exist in a background that's eternal. And we see not just all the way back to creation, but we see all the way forward to our eternal life someday in heaven because we have faith and we have hope. We are people of faith and of hope. And we also see uh, God. You remember in uh, John, uh, John chapter 14, and uh, you might remember that uh, Jesus just finished saying, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And then Philip says to him in verse uh, 8, he says, Lord, just show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied. We just want to see God. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The fullness of God existed in the person of Christ. And when we see Christ, we're seeing the Father. So we become people of the light. We see more than just the foreground of our lives and just this life. We see way beyond, and uh, we are people of light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me uh, will not walk in darkness, but live in the light of life. We are privileged to be able to see God, to see the past, to see eternity uh, in the future. We are sons and daughters of the light. And so Jesus is addressing his disciples here in Luke chapter 16. Remember, the crowds around him are listening. Others are listening. But he's talking to his followers. He's talking to people like us. And he's encouraging us to be more shrewd. He's encouraging us to be more astute, to have more wisdom. Wisdom, I think, is connecting the dots that today and tomorrow are connected. Uh, The present and the future are connected. The The temporary of this life, the foreground, and the background are connected to each other. And when we connect the dots, we gain wisdom. 
We see things from God's perspective, not just our human perspective. And so Jesus then instructs us on the shrewd use of money and possessions as sons and daughters uh, of the light. And so we come to the ninth verse, and here's what Jesus says. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Take your money, take your possessions, take whatever you have, whatever the Lord has given you to manage for him. You know, we don't really own anything, right? Everything is the Lord's. He's our master, and we manage what he entrusts to us for him. We're all going to leave everything behind. You know, sometimes we don't think about that. We think we own stuff, but the truth is we're all going to pass through this life and leave everything behind. We are managers, right? We're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to live with wisdom, take what I've given you to manage and make friends for yourselves, eternal friends. This guy, our dishonest manager, was trying to make earthly friends for himself so he'd be set up in the foreground of his life to have somebody welcome him into uh, you know, their home when he has no place to go and no, no place to live. And Jesus says, I tell you, you are people of eternity. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous. I think the word unrighteous just means wealth is neutral. Wealth is neither moral nor uh, immoral. Wealth, it's, it's, it's what we do with our wealth that is either wise or unwise. And Jesus is saying, be shrewd with what I've given you. Make friends for yourselves. Look, and then he says, who will welcome you or receive you into eternal dwellings. Hey, invest what you have to make friends. And I would tell you, there's a million ways to do this. You know, there's a, there's a gazillion ways to take what we have and the, not just the money, but the time and the talents and the interests and the personalities that God has entrusted us to manage for him and make friends for yourself so that when you get to heaven, somebody is there saying, I am so thankful to see you because it was because of you that I'm here. And it was the best thing that could ever happen to me in the foreground of my life to be able to have eternity forever and ever and ever. And so it kind of begs the question, you know, to kind of ask ourselves, who's going to be in heaven to welcome me when I get there? Is there going to be anybody who's really happy to see me because I gave money to church and church reached people for Jesus? I gave money to missions and missionaries in different parts of the world, led people to Christ, and they're going to understand. Or, you know, I sponsored a kid through Compassion, and he's down in Bolivia, and, you know, and he's knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord, and I can't wait to meet him someday in heaven. Or just personal evangelism. I think, uh, you know, when, when it says, hey, take whatever you have, and make friends for yourself, eternal friends, not just earthly friends, but eternal friends. In other words, friendship evangelism. And again, there's a million ways to do this. One of my favorite things, I, uh, my son, uh, when he was growing up, um, he had a, uh, his spine didn't develop right. He had to give up sports. So we went and bought an old Model T Ford, and we made a hot rod out of it put a different engine, brakes, you know, took the whole thing apart, put the whole thing together. When I drive that car, wherever we go, and he lets me drive it once, and it's his, but, you know, 
dad should have some privileges, don't you think? When I drive that car, it is so easy to get in a conversation about eternal things. It's just so much fun. We'll go and get ice cream, people will come over, they'll start talking, you know, and, and we can just talk about, you know what? Uh, yeah, my son and I, we kind of restored this, but we made it better than it was originally. You know, that's what God does to people. He takes us in our broken down condition with all of our sins and he washes us clean with his blood and then he begins to put his spirit in it and he teaches us different principles and little by little, line upon line, you know, he makes us into something that's better even than what we were originally. You know, it makes us like Christ and we get into these spiritual conversations with people. It's so easy and it's fun and it's my hobby and it's expensive, <laughs> Right? At Christmas time, I'm giving my son tires. I'm giving him a steering wheel. I'm giving him gauges to put in the car and so forth. So I'm saying, you know, that's, I think that's friendship evangelism. It's doing stuff that you're good at and that you love and, and using it wisely, shrewdly, to set yourself up for eternity so that there'll be some people there waiting in heaven. Can't wait till you die and get up here so I can give you a hug. That's what this parable is about. That's what this story is really about, you know? So take the behavior of this dishonest manager, not the dishonest part, but set yourselves up for the future. Lay up treasure for yourself in the future. Um, translate this manager's astuteness into your own eternal life. Think ahead. Connect the dots. What we do now makes a huge difference on how we'll spend eternity. The dishonest manager, you know, used his boss's money to, set, to, to gain earthly friends. But we, the people of the light, should use our master's money that he's entrusted to us to manage for him in order to make eternal friends, investing in ways that will lead people to Christ and in turn make us really, really happy. Uh, Jesus is using even a dishonest person to show the importance of living in such a way as to be prepared uh, for our future. I mentioned to you a while back that um, at least a quarter of the Bible, when it was written, is prophetic. So in other words, talked about events that hadn't happened yet. And some scholars say up to a third of the Bible is actually prophetic when it was written. And uh, one of the ways that God says we can know his word is sure and know about him it's because he's the only one who actually reveals things before they happen, right? Back in Isaiah chapter 42, here's what the Lord says. He says, I'm the Lord, that's my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to some carved idol. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's how you can know it's from me. Take the Bible and think about all the prophecies about the first coming of Jesus, for example, Christmas. And all those prophetic words, every one of them came true. Where he was born, I mean, all the little details. And there's way more about his second coming that's in the scriptures than the first coming. So here's a God who's letting us know what's coming in the future. And here's Jesus saying, hey, be shrewd, man. Set yourself up. You're the people who know what the background is. You know where this is all going to end. You know where you're going to end up. Take what you have in the foreground and use it to set yourself up in the background of your life. Connect the dots between the present and the future because he reveals before things happen the truth 
about what's going to happen and who he really is. Now, notice right here in our text, uh, next verse, uh, look at this. He says, um, well, back in verse 9, he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, there is coming a day when money's not going to do you any good. Right? I mean, we could get into some prophecy. We could read like Revelation 13 where you're going to discover that, you know what, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to be able to buy anything. The money's going to fail. Money's going to fail. And it says it right here in our text. Jesus says it's coming a day when money's not going to do you any good so that when money fails, there'll be other people to welcome you into your eternal dwelling. There's coming a day. You could like read Revelation 13. My wife is like, don't get going on that, you know. <laughs> so consider yourself spared. Um, but suffice it to say, this world and this generation is going to be over at some point, and we're going to be into our eternal dwelling. And so Jesus is connecting the dots, right, between now and then, between temporary and eternal, between the present and the future, uh, where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. Now, I think there's something to this saying. I don't know if you've heard this before, but I used to tell people, you know, do your giving while you're living so you can be knowing where it's going. (laughs) Right? Some people want to hold on to their money and they want to die and then they're going to give after they die. And uh, I could tell you from enough experience with different people that it doesn't always go where you think it's going to go. Do your giving while you're living so you can be knowing where it's going because you want to invest in these eternal friendships. Um, It's not just money. It's the friendship. It's the gospel. It's the love. It's the giving of eternal life to other people. And then Jesus, I think, states three principles about money, just kind of rapid fire. Verse 10, he says, You know, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and the one who's dishonest with a little will be dishonest in much. It's not the amount. It's the faithfulness. It's not the amount. It's not like, well, you know, I can't really give that much. No, it's the faithfulness that the Lord is after. It's recognizing it's his, and we're given it to manage. And if we're faithful in what he's given us, he'll entrust us with more, which is what he says. Um, He says, um, uh, verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, in neutral wealth, if you've not been faithful with that, who's going to entrust to you true riches? Now, what are true riches? I would suggest to you that true riches are the souls of people. When everything's gone, when, when this life is over, what's left? The souls of people. That's true riches. And here's God who wants to... It's like money is a little bit of a test. And if we're faithful with money... The Lord's like, I can, if, if, if you're faithful with unrighteous mammon and the stuff, well, then I can trust you with people that you're going to share the gospel and you're going to tell the truth and you're going to be courageous enough to build friendships and through those friendships to uh, win those people to Jesus and, and so on. It's like money's kind of a test. Can I entrust you with true riches? And then the third principle, he says, and if you've not been faithful with that, which is somebody else's, who's going to give you what you what would be your own? You know, this manager, he didn't own anything, right? He just managed the boss's assets. He didn't really own anything, and neither do we. Uh, all the assets, the whole creation is God's. 
He owns it all. And he entrusts it to us and asks us to manage it on his behalf. And uh, who's going to give you what you own if you can't manage what's somebody else's? And then uh, finally, comes down to verse 13, and this is kind of the conclusion of uh, this story this, that Jesus told. And uh, if you don't take anything else home, you might want to just think about this and take it home with you. No servant can serve two masters. Right? You're probably familiar with this. Nobody can have two firsts in their life. You just can't. And this is the only thing that I'm aware of in all of scripture that Jesus elevates to the level of himself. And he says, you can't serve me and money at the same time you have to choose. You'll either use money to serve Jesus or you'll try to use Jesus to serve money. Oh dear Lord, please let me win the lotto. You'll try to use the Lord to serve what's first versus taking what we have that the Lord has entrusted to us and using it. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Way too many people think that money can do for them what only God can do. People think money can make me happy. Have you ever had that thought? Oh, you're not being honest with me. (laughs) Right? How many people think money can make them happy or money can give me power and make me feel like somebody or money can give me an identity? Only God can really give us the joy uh, of himself, Jesus said, not as the world gives, but I give. And here's what we know as people who are connected to the background uh, with the foreground of our lives. The best of life is yet to come. The best of life is not in the foreground. The best is what Jesus has promised us is yet to come in our eternal future. Uh, but we tend to you know, forget that what we do now has a direct impact on what will happen to us then. Uh, we don't have time to go into it, but if you're interested, Second uh, uh, Corinthians 5, 10, I think, is the verse that talks about this, that, you know, when we die, uh, we'll be judged, but for rewards. First uh, Corinthians 3 talks about, you know, if we try to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with cheap stuff, fire will just burn it away, and yeah, we'll be saved, but we'll be broke in heaven. But if we build with gold and silver and precious stones and we take the best that the master has entrusted us and we invest it in that uh, future that Jesus told us, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where nothing can steal it and the stock market can't take it away and all the rest that you know, happens in this life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this, uh, this story that you told uh, you know, with this twist in it about this guy being dishonest. I mean, it really like grabs our attention because we don't expect Jesus to tell a story where somebody who's dishonest gets praised. But he's not praised for being dishonest. He's praised for being shrewd. And here we are, your people, and we have our foregrounds connected to our backgrounds. And oftentimes uh, we get lost in the foreground and forget that this is connected to the background of our lives to eternity. And that what we do now has a profound effect on how we will spend then. 
And so I pray that we might just take away, Father, what you want us to hear from this particular story that Jesus told and that you'll uh, use it by your spirit's freedom in our life to change us. And uh, before it's too late, before we uh, get to the end of our lives and uh, realize that, wow, we, we didn't make that connection between this life and the life to come. And now, while we have time, help us to make friends that will welcome us into eternal dwellings because we were a part of them coming to know Jesus, in whose name we pray this morning. Amen.